schedule, full show lined up for you guys today. We are super excited. The topic we're going to be focusing on here is how to make even bigger profits wholesaling houses. Uh, we're actually going to be uh, touching on a topic that Cody and I have talked about here before on the live stream with another case study. Uh, but we're going to be breaking down a deal. Jeremy and Michelle have a deal that we're going to use as kind of our, uh, like we would call it a case study, but it's a deal that they did. And we're going to kind of walk through exactly how they did that deal, break it down step by step so you guys can see it live in action. Um, Cody and I both believe the best way to learn this business is, is looking at real live deals. I mean, nothing's better than actually looking at a deal. And so, you know, Jeremy and Michelle are going to do that for us. And then what we're going to do is, we're hoping that that'll take what, Cody, maybe 20 minutes. Yeah, and then we're going to open up. Yeah, 20 minutes max. And we're going to open up to some live QA. The feedback has been more live QA. So we want to try to do that this go around. So, guys, uh, go ahead and participate in the chat. Leave your questions. Uh, do your very best, if you can, to focus on the topic we're covering, which we're going to kind of break down here in a minute. But um, any other questions, though, we'll, we'll try to get to as many of those as we can. But we are going to try our best to keep the questions more related to this topic because we could talk, you know, Cody and I could talk about this, you know, all night long and still not even get to everybody's questions. So we're going to do our very best to do that. Um, you guys that don't know, we do this every single week or we're trying to do this every single week, same time. So block this off on your calendar every Tuesday at, at five, our time four. what is it? Four Pacific seven, seven, right? Uh, Eastern. Eastern. Yep. Yeah. Seven Eastern. And so um, you know, to kind of kick off this topic, Cody, and, and also, you know, Jeremy and Michelle, traditionally when it, when, we come, when it comes to wholesaling, what everybody thinks of and what we tend to do initially and, you know, often is assignments, right? Where we get a contract, we assign that contract to the cash buyer, cash buyer steps in, he funds the deal. We walk out of closing with our assignment check. We didn't have to fund anything. We didn't have to pay closing fees. It's a beautiful, amazing, awesome, life-changing experience, right? To do that assignment wholesale. Um, but as you guys progress and learn and start to do more deals, hopefully you start to think a little bit more outside the box where you start to look at deals, not just from straight assignments, but other ways that you can structure deals and maybe transition into well, we're going to cover more of a, a wholesale type strategy where you actually take down the property, buy it, and then flip it, maybe do a little bit to nothing. Um, we, you can even take it a step further and get into rehabbing. We call that fix and flip. But sometimes it makes sense to look at other options other than just straight assignments. And if you guys were on a couple, it might have been, was it last week or the week before, but Cody had mentioned a recent deal that he did, which is following the same strategy that guys was a six figure, that's a hundred thousand, right? Six figure wholesale deal that would have been nowhere near that had it been a straight assignment, probably. I mean, it still would have been a home run assignment, Yeah. but this turned into just a killer deal because Cody was able to take it one step further close on the deal and then just relist it for sale. Still didn't touch it just like normal wholesaling, didn't rehab it or anything. Uh, but by taking advantage of that opportunity, he was able to really, you know, probably quadruple or even more his, his return, right? His profit on that deal. And so this is kind of this idea that we're talking about here that we're going to, we're going to actually break down a deal with Jeremy and Michelle, but Cody, maybe, maybe start us off with, 
kind of breaking down the basics of a wholetail, and then we can get going into it. Okay. Uh, basics of a wholetail, guys. Wholetail, maybe, like, are you saying just a definition, just a raw definition of what this looks yeah, like? Yeah, in case maybe someone's not really familiar with what that is. Yeah, wholesale, simple, it, right? We're just assigning it, and that's what people call it. But wholesaling, I even break it down to, it's just really the art of finding deeply discounted properties. So you have this word wholesale, and you have this word retail, and you kind of pair them together, and you get that wholetail, right? Um, so we're not talking about hotels where you go and stay the night for, for a fee. <laughs> we're talking about hotels, right? So you put these together, you get the wholetail, and that's just simply mixing the blend, right? Finding these off-market properties at a discount, buying them, and then simply putting them on the market in most cases as is, where we're not really doing much. I don't call a 10 grand, 5 grand, 15 grand, 20 grand, a wholetail. I call that what Jerry said, a fix and flip, like a full rehab, a remodel. So this is something that maybe takes a thousand bucks or less where you can just hurry and just do, maybe it's clean it out or maybe it's um, get rid of the garbage that's in the garage or throughout the house because it was a hoarder house and then just putting it on. The key things you want to look for is lendable and livable. That's the key things you're looking for. Um, there's three sets of uh, buyers. You got your fix and flip buyer. They're the ones that pay the least amount because they have to do the most to the property to make their money. The second buyer is the landlord. They can pay a little bit more because they don't have to put as much into the property. They just got to make it rent ready. They don't need the granite countertops or brand new cabinets. They can reface them, maybe just put uh, laminate countertops on it so they can pay a little bit more but your highest payer is a retail buyer so uh, Jeremy Michelle who are two of my absolute favorite people guys on and off the court when we talk about like basketball on and off the court great individual on and off the field of, of wholesaling some of my favorite people in the world because what they do in their business is phenomenal but how they live their life and this couple's a power couple. They are one of those couples that you're like, these two are in love. And I, I'm going to make you guys laugh. But you guys, they do everything together. They work out together. They do business together. Everything is together. And I'm always inspired by watching them on Facebook. I'm like, this couple's amazing. Like, this is what the world needs to see, that wholesaling and wholetailing can be huge in creating a lifestyle that Jerry and Michelle, they're from New Hampshire, guys. They've been doing this now. They're in their fifth year. But ultimately, guys, let's start breaking down a deal. Let's get right to the meat and potatoes and let's help these guys understand what it is that you're doing to get the, this wholetail deal that we're going to talk about tonight. How did you do it? So let's break it down from the beginning. Where did you get the list from or the lead source from? And then ultimately, how did you market to this lead? And give us a little background. Sorry, what got you into this? People need to know who you guys are. <laughs> well, hey, um, I'm Jeremy. Obviously, this is my beautiful wife, Michelle. We're happy to be here, Cody. Uh, you know, thank you guys for having us here. It's an honor. Um, you know, honestly, you know, same thing that got me here is the same that many others. Heard Tom Crow on a podcast, and my whole life changed shortly after that. Um, so we've been doing this, like you said, we're in our fifth year. We've gone from me doing it part-time uh, along in W-2 with her quitting her job and coming on full-time to me quitting to full-time to, you know, full team. Yep, to scale into a, a full team in multiple markets. So we're incredibly blessed. We have amazing people who work on our team with us. Um, you know, I, I, we couldn't say more than enough of them. 
but you know, we're, we love wholetails. I'll be honest. They're my favorite. <laughs> uh, they bring, bring, um, big profits without doing a lot of work, which I really love. Um, you know, we do fix and flips. We do wholesales. We did start as wholesalers. We wholesale for years before we started really getting into wholesales and flips and, uh, rental acquisitions and stuff like that. Um, uh, but wholesales are just great. And, you know, when you're beginning or you're new, it's probably not um, a strategy that you can use unless you have access to money, which a lot of us don't when we get started, or private money. Uh, but it's a it's a great strategy, and um, you know it's been a game changer for us. So I absolutely love wholesales. The more, the better, because they bring big big bucks, and there's still a short turnover time. So quick, and yes. yeah, there's not a lot of stuff Sorry. to do. You have to forgive us. We're kind of recording this from our phone. Um, so I got my cheat sheet here. It's been a while. Um, you know, again, unfortunately enough, I have a team that works on all this, so I may not know all the fine details on it, but I will do my best. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, guys, this is, I think, what's really, really cool. They surround themselves with great people. They, they built it around a lifestyle, and I think this is something that you may want to jot notes on. If you're wanting to get to the point where you're team-driven so that you don't always have to wear all the hats, um, of every step, every process. This is going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal way of, uh, this can be a phenomenal, I guess, night to be jotting down some notes because they're all about lifestyle. You're going to see it. You're going to feel it. You're going to sense it. And they're going to show you how. I love that he said that up front. Like, I have my cheat sheet. My team had to call me. Let me know exactly the stats on this. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's an amazing thing, guys. That's an amazing thing. I was just texting with Eddie just before this. He's like, giving me all the notes on it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. And I was with <laughs> other people on the team earlier yeah. today. Yeah. And so they all have our back. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> you're right, though. We, we definitely have tried to grow this company around what our lifestyle is. And now with our team, we're trying to create a life lifestyle business for them as well so uh yeah it's really really cool um so okay so break it down my friends all right we'll break it down cody so we got this deal it was a bateman lead on our website um so i don't know if you guys know what uh brandon bateman is but he is our P ppc seo guy um so this came in from massachusetts which is one of the markets we're here locally new hampshire massachusetts you guys could probably hear but my bad Boston accent yeah. that we're kind of close to Boston. Um, this deal was in Saugus right outside of Boston. Yeah. So. And this was the first for us. Uh, we never did anything around that area, so it was pretty yeah. exciting. Yep. So this came in. Eddie, our awesome acquisition guy, went out there and built rapport right away. Um, had to overcome tons of hurdles. We had um, multiple siblings owning this property in multiple states. So uh, I remember Eddie sending out the uh, purchase of sales agreement that night. He had to send like four different right. DocuSigns to get them all to sign that particular <laughs> night. He got them all on the phone. I mean, high level acquisition stuff to get this deal under contract, which was great. Uh, it took a while, but, um, you know, they had some stuff because they were out of state. They weren't really sure of, you know, how much the property was cost and all that stuff. And they had a bunch of issues that we had to work out, but, Needless to say, Eddie did a fantastic job pulling it all together. So it came in through a web lead. Um, we were able to get it all under contract for 300000 which is a lot here in New Hampshire, but near Boston, it's not a lot. It's pretty normal there. Um, we bought this, um, closed on it on our side on August 11th, uh, 2020. We actually sold it. Uh, one month later, um, so it was a 30 day. Hold on before you, before you break okay. out the whole stats. Hold on. All right, all right. 
I got to recap this. So your acquisition manager is dealing with uh, an absentee owner, someone that lives out of state. You yes. had to go to the DocuSign. Um, I think I actually remember talking a little bit about this with Eddie just on deal closing mastery, um, learning a little bit more about this. It's there, there's a little curveball to this guy. So when you're working with this absentee owner, you're working with someone out of state. There is a, there is a negotiation strategy that's worthy of talking about that you guys always do, which is phenomenal. And that is if you have to do business over the phone guys, because they're out of state, it's getting commitments before you ever send over that DocuSign, that agreement, that contract. Because what most people fail to do is they're talking like, hey, Jerry, so uh, 240, like we can do that. We'll send over DocuSign. And Jerry's like, perfect, send it over. <laughs> and then we just send it over. And then we sit on this other side and we're like, Sweet. Please open. Look yeah. at my DocuSign. I sent this and I'm checking the app and it still says it's closed. It hasn't even been reviewed. And yeah. now he's ghosting me. I'm texting him. And now, now he's not even calling me. And guys, this is a very real scenario and it happens nonstop. But it's because if you follow that process, you're actually going to lose majority of your opportunity and your contract because they're now just going to take that and use it for bait to shop you out for more people. So one thing that they do, and maybe you guys can break this down, is send it out only after you've gotten a commitment. And we only send out, for example, we only send out if it's like, hey, if we're able to do 240, can we put this together tonight? And they're like, yes. Awesome. Are you sitting in front of a computer right now? Yes. Perfect. Let's put this together right now. And can you get to your computer right now? And I'm going to be sending this over and let's open this up together so we can walk you through this together right now. Is that okay? Yes. Perfect. Only once you get these mini commitments, guys, this is the, the contract before the contract or the agreement before the agreement. You're getting all these mini agreements before you get the big agreement sent over to them so that you're upping your chances that you're going to get that baby signed tonight. So he got all signed in, in one night, or is this over multiple nights? No, it actually took about a month for it actually to come to uh, you know fruition. He uh, he had one driving force. So it was four siblings on the, the property, so the deed. So we had to get four signatures, all different parts of the country. So Eddie was talking with the one driving force. And once they were able to come to a number and agreement, um, you know, and there was some other stuff that they wanted to do an appraisal, which actually hurt them because it brought the value of the property down and they wanted to do inspection, which, you know, worked against them as well because it just showed all the issues that they had. Because, you know, the person who was driving the um, negotiation for the family on this hadn't been in the house for a long time. And it was, they had their daughter and the daughter's boyfriend who was like a high school kids getting ready to leave for Arizona State College. Uh, you know, and they were just partying and not taking care of the house. So it was a, it was a rough shape, livable, but rough shape. So it all worked out. Um, but, well, you know, like you said, Eddie did an awesome job. So what he did in this situation is once they were able to get to the price that they needed to be, uh, he got all the siblings on the phone while he was there in the meeting. Um, this is what we do. We try to get everybody who's going to be a decision maker on the phone so we could communicate at the same time. So there's not, none of that phone game where I tell you something, you tell it to somebody else. And by the time that message gets there, it's not the same message. If anybody has any questions or concerns, they can all be addressed at that time. So once he was able to do all that and get that verbal agreement, 
he did exactly what you said. He then said the DocuSign and he calls everybody and he goes over the contract while they're filling it out one person at a time. So he spent like all night talking to each person, going through the contract, get a signature, send it to the next person, talk to them. But that's how he did it and got it all done in one night. He did an awesome job. Phenomenal. Jerry, any questions? Yeah, I just want to add a, an additional comment, Cody, to what you were talking about. And and uh, I mentioned this before in a, in a previous live stream, but I actually learned this strategy from you, Cody, to never send the contract, not only, not only uh, until you've got a, a verbal commitment on price, but also with them sitting there in front of their computer. So what will happen is, let's say that you're talking to them on the phone and you know you're going to be doing the closing over the phone. There's no appointment. Um, and you, let's say you, you agree on a price. What, what I used to do is we would say, okay, well, um, we're going to call you back in, you know, 15 minutes, or I would make an appointment for the close. And then we'd hang up, we'd call them back with the contract ready and then send it. Well, we don't even do that now. We just say, Hey, we're not even going to hang up right now. Uh, can you hold on a second? Are you in front of your computer? Okay, great. And we're filling it out. And it only takes a few minutes, right? When you know how to fill one out. And we're like, okay, it's coming over right now. Do you see it yet? Refresh your browser, refresh your, okay, there it is. Good, open it up. I do not want to get off the phone. I can't tell you, I've had, I've had half a dozen times where we agree on a price. We make an appointment for 20 minutes later and I lose them in that 20 minute window because who knows, right? Someone else calls, I don't know. And it's because that guy just took your contract and said, hey, I've got an offer for 160. So Bill, you've been calling me. If you can beat that, it's yours. Yeah. Well, I'm talking not even, not even, not even when you have the contract from the time you say, yes, I'll call you in 20 minutes to, to sign. Oh, oh. yeah. I, I don't even want to hang up at all at any point in time, if, if it's possible. Now Super in your nice. situation, you guys had multiple people. You couldn't have done it that way, but you know, like if, if they're in front of a smartphone or a computer, we're doing it right now, baby. And you're going to hold on while we're on the phone and we're going to get it done right now. Yeah. I love that, Jerry. And I think that's a great point. And anybody who's listening to this, who's, you know, somewhat new at the wholesale or acquisition game. I mean, this is really the only way you can go about it when you have to send out any kind of a lot electronic signature request. It, it has to be done this way. Cause like Cody said earlier, if you just send it out there, it's just going to, you're just going to drive yourself crazy waiting for something that's probably never going to happen. Yeah, we learned yeah. that by trial and error. And he kept saying, I don't know. I sent it to him and he can't open it. I'll send it again tomorrow. Yeah. Just on one deal. And obviously after three times it was like, okay, let's get you on the phone and walk you through it. So we learned that. And then we just, yeah. Yeah. Then on. Love it. So you guys go out or you guys don't go out there. You guys do this virtually put under contract. What did you end up putting under contract for? 300,000. 300,000. So this is an area you already felt comfortable saying, hey, this is a deal. This is closer to the Boston market, right? Correct. Very close. Boston market. I said, Boston. It was a wicked awesome deal, man. So you get it out there under contract, 300,000. And then ultimately, you chose to, you had options. You could fix and flip it. You could simply assign the contract and sell your rights to someone else for a fee, let someone else close on for a fee, but you chose to do a wholesale deal. Can you give us like a brief understanding of what made you pick a wholesale deal versus, because I know you guys are big rehabbers. I know you guys assign deals. What Do you have a formula? Do you have something that says, hey, we're going to wholesale this deal? 
You know, it's a great question. So we look at every exit strategy uh, separately. So, you know, we're all about the off-market acquisitions. And once we come in, we'll look at what exit strategy is going to bring us the most bang for our buck, so to speak. Um, you know, this one was a little far for our, our team to flip. You know, it's about an hour away. I think we could have handled it. But quite honestly, the numbers were kind of tight for a flip for the work that needed to get done. Uh, there was a lot of, I mean, it is a hot market over there, but, you know, we want to be conservative. So with that being said, there was a potential that it would be a modest flip, but it would have been a lot of work to get to a modest flip. Although the house was in good shape, still needed a lot of updates because it was such so outdated. And it kind of had a unique uh, flow to the house. It was just kind of a unique house. Um, and honestly, because... 300 was kind of high. I don't think for a cash buyer would have been that great because otherwise we would have flipped it. So I think from an assignment perspective, you know, it would have been a very modest at best assignment. So we looked at it and said, you know what? I think we can wholetail this, put a little money into cleaning it up and getting it ready. And I'll talk a little bit about why, what we did and why we did it. But we just felt like that would give us probably the most profit for the little least amount of work. And it did, it, you know. It, and also the condition that it was in. It right. was very livable. It was livable. could move in and yeah. just fix it up along the way. So that's always a factor. Just felt like it opened up the door to a lot more buyers that way. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So you go in, you go with the choice of, hey, we're just going to do a simple little cleanup. What did that involve? You have it under contract, three hundred thousand. Yeah. What additional money did you have to put into it for this little bit of a cleanup before you could put it back on the market? Yeah. So you know, I wish it was a thousand dollars or less on this one, but it wasn't. Um, you know, they left a lot of stuff behind, and it, it was you know. So for us, we thought we would try something kind of different with this, and we wanted to clean it out and clean it nice. Yeah. And present it nice to the MLS buyers. Um, you know, we've realized that for some of our hotels that we've kept stuff in as is, the response isn't as great as if we spend a little money cleaning it up and cleaning it out. Uh, we get much better returns that way. So this was kind of our, one of our first experiences with that. And it was really overgrown and really dirty and it had a ton of stuff inside. So, you know, a lot of it was just junk removal costs and hallway and everything like that. So we hauled everything out of the house, you know, all three floors, a basement that was loaded. Um, we cut down a bunch of bushes and we pressure washed a whole bunch of the house, the walkways, the brick walls, all these retaining walls. And uh, we made it look nice. We cleaned it up really, really nice. Uh, and then we had it professionally cleaned. Yep. And then we had professional pictures taken. And then we listed on the MLS. And that's all we did. I love it. From start to finish, you close on it. How long did it take to do this cleanup process? Uh, two weeks. Most of it was just a junk cleanup. Okay. Two weeks. And now it's ready to be listed. What did you list it for? And what did you make on this deal? Uh, I can't remember what we listed it for. My guess is probably somewhere around three forty. Um, you know, we were about $7,000 in. I see that. Uh, $7,000 in with all of our work to get it ready. Um, but what we did is we have an open house. We showed it for one hour, just like we do with our property inspections. It's a one-time view. We got as many people there as possibly as we can. And with that hour, we had a huge showing. And um, we got a cash offer for 380 Oh, jeez. <laughs> All right. So, well. Yeah, guys, get, the bell. get the bell. Hold on. Well, here we go. Oh, oh. <laughs> dude! You get it for three hundred. You put how much? Did you say seven k? Seven thousand. Yeah, seven thousand in the cleanup. In two weeks' time, it's on the market. Uh, you put it out there at a price, guys. Write this down. This is beautiful. 
Put it at a price that gets a lot of people salivating over it. Don't put it at the price of the max. This is crucial, guys. Even in a retail market, not only do I do this with wholesaling, I do this on the retail side as well. Write those gold nuggets down. Put it at a price where you don't are not at the top. The top, you're like, man, you get one, two, three, four offers. Put it at a price that gets people salivating where you get 20 offers and you'll see it goes higher than what you wanted. If you would have put it at the max and only got two or three offers, you probably would have got the max or maybe just above. But because you get 10, 15, 20 people involved, guess what else gets involved? We're all humans. And that is ego. And they're like, no, Mrs. Smith isn't getting this house. I'm getting this house. Here's my offer. And it's 50,000 higher than one's like, I'm not letting the Johnsons win. And this guy goes 80,000 above. Yeah. They got it for guys. This is crucial. These are gold nuggets being dropped all over. I hope you're writing this down because when you dispo a property, that my friends will make you more money than majority of the tactics out there. That one gold nugget, that one tactic of listing it lower than you should. There's times where I know I'm going to make a $25,000 assignment. I list it as if I'm going to make a $5,000 assignment and I end up getting a $40,000 assignment. That's the beauty. It's that feeding frenzy. It's that getting multiple eyes on it. So people are like, well, we're going to have to come high. There's 20 people that want this. And if we really want this home, we're really going to have to shoot over this price. And that's what you just created. Get one or two people and you've lost that magic and you'll only get what you ask for. Yeah. And yeah that's to, a great point. To add to that, Cody. So what I'll do a lot, and I do this on my flips is um, I know I'm priced below market. I know I'm getting, I know I'm going to get a ton of action. So all I need is two offers. That's all I need. Two offers or even two commitments. Like, Hey, you know what? I'm, we're going to write an offer. It's going to come over. And then what we do is we go to all the showings. Let's say we had 15 showings and we say, Hey, highest and best. We got multiple offers coming in. If you really want this property, you better get on it right now. We're going to, we're waiting until Sunday. You know, it's Thursday right now. We're waiting until Sunday. And then, but when you call everybody and you tell them that now all of a sudden everyone's scrambling to get their offers in because you just notified them all that there's multiple offer situation. And next thing you know, like Cody said, the thing goes way over asking. I mean, that's a really cool strategy in a, in a low inventory market like today. So yeah, love that. But I got a question. So, so Jeremy and, and Michelle, so 380, 300 buy, you had seven in rehab, um, right? To clean up the trash out and clean up. Um, but that's not all though. Cause you have financing costs and you have closing and commissions. So Everybody understand that because when you wholetail, it's not like an assignment where it's just all gross, right? Or, or you get your net is your gross. It's there is a net. You got to factor in some other things. So this is a really big deal because if you try to wholetail a deal and you gross twenty, it may be a loser deal after you pay all the fees and everything, right? So you want to think about that when you do these wholetails. You want to have a big enough spread where you can net out some of the costs associated with buying and reselling. So talk about that a minute. Yeah, no, it's a hundred percent. You know, um, you know, there is lender costs. We borrow that money at a, at a price and there's uh, closing costs and there's commission costs and all that stuff. Um, yeah. You know, that's why, like you said, it's really important to price it right to bid it and get a bidding war going. And our disposition manager, Tucker did a phenomenal job on this working them. We give them, um, deadlines, just like we do on assignments. Hey, we want the office within 24 to 48 hours, get them in. And then we, you know, try to work them up from there. Um, and, you know, we had conventional type loans on this mm -hmm. that 
we knew that would come into play, but then that would be more could potentially be more holding costs. And there's some other factors there as well. The cash offer just being an immediate close. It was a no brainer. Um, so it was awesome. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we have to pay our lenders. There really has to be a significant amount there uh, to make a wholesale worth it. And um, yeah, so let's break it down. There's, there's three things, right? You have, you have closing fees. So you have closing yeah. when you buy closing, when you sell. So we want yeah. to both sides, closing fees, commissions. Now you don't pay commissions when you buy, you bought it off market anyway, but you do have commissions when you sell. And then there's what I call carrying costs, which yep. is just the cost of financing. So yep. in your case, you I think you said you closed 30 days later. So you had a two-week clean out and then a two-week close, right? Correct. Okay, so you have very minimal carry a month. And that's why we want the cash offer. Yeah. And, you know, because our carrying costs can get expensive, especially with the lender. So we're trying to get this thing closed as quickly as possible. Yep. Yep. So, so I, what I like to do is I like to think about, you know, I usually factor 2% of whatever I'm going to sell it for as my budget number for closing. And that's just paying closing fees when you buy, closing fees when you sell. It's going to be your title, your title insurance, maybe some a, a little bit of proration. It's going to be a transfer tax, right? So it's not, it's not super clear cut, but I like to budget 2%. That'll cover those closing fees on both sides. Commissions now can vary because you could get a deal on your list, but for sure you're probably paying 3%, right, on the on the buyer's agent too. Okay, so you offer 2% on the buyer side, and then what'd you pay on the list side? Uh, it's our disposition manager, and we, we listed it for sale by owner. Okay, so no list fee. Yeah, it was 300 bucks. Okay, great. Yep. So guys, and, and don't think you have to pay the 3%. Um, I've wholetailed a few deals where I just do the uh, the flat fee brokerage. You get, you get no service, but they put it on the MLS for three right. four hundred bucks. That's you know, they email you offers. Okay, I do that all the time. It's super cheap as long as you know how to negotiate and you know how to, you know how to do contracts. You don't need an agent on the list side, right? Get 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 really good pictures taken. Get it over. Um, those are super cheap, three four hundred dollars. I think you can find them in pretty much any state. Just Google flat fee broker. And you'll find someone in your state that does it usually. So, and then you did, and then you only offer two percent on the buyer side. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's, that, in this market, that's really all you need to do right okay. now. Okay. So you had, and then what? And then tell me your carry. Do you private money, or how do you take it down? No, it's private money. We, okay. we have you know a lot of private money, and we pay a little bit more of a premium. But they, um, you know, we're fortunate to have some lenders that do one hundred percent of the financing on a lot of. Okay. Ideas. So. So your your lender did a hundred percent on the three hundred buy, yeah, and and the closing costs on the the buy end as well on the buy side. So, so we were no money out of pocket, and we budgeted some money in there for the clean out. So I think we borrowed like three fifteen total, if I remember correctly. Okay, so guys, you guys catch this? This is really crucial here. A lot of people think, well, Jerry, Cody, you know, Jeremy, I can't wholetail because I don't have funds. I got to do assignments. It's my only way. And that's true. If you if you have no access to capital and you don't make any effort to raise capital, you're a one trick pony. You can do assignments and that's great. It's how everyone starts. That's fine. But if you want to start getting into the deals like this, you've got to start building relationships with money. And a lot of people think, you know, money's this elusive thing or it's this hard thing to get or you got to have all this experience. It's not true. You, do you know how much money is all around you? People, everyday people that can self-direct an IRA that have, you know, cash sitting somewhere that, that they would lend it to you on a deal. If you showed them the deal and it made sense and, and they trust you and like you, 
They'll lend you their money and they'll make a great return, offer them a great return on their money. And you just have to ask, ask enough people that you'll get the money. Don't think that this is something you can't do because you're new or you don't have enough experience or you don't know what to say. Show them the deal. Show them, hey, here's the numbers. I think we bought this thing way under value. We're going to resell it for, you know, 80,000 more. I need the money for 30, 60 days. You know, I'll pay you whatever. It doesn't even matter what you pay them. Pay them a cut, pay them interest, whatever. Get your deal done and, and do this big, amazing deal. Don't ever let a lack of capital stop you from doing deals. That's that's the biggest thing I can say I've learned over the years is money Money will always follow a good deal. You get a good deal, there's always money for it. Bro, it's like the it's like the field of dreams, right? If you build it, they will come. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, yeah. Jerry, I'd like to piggyback on that. You know, um, for a long time, we felt the same way you're just talking about. When we were wholesaling, we didn't have access to money. We didn't really could think that we'd ever have access to it. Yeah. And then it was became a mind shift in us that we said, you know, we really need to start focusing on how to raise money. And just like we do to market to our sellers, market to our buyers from, you know, the wholesale side of things, we started really putting just as much effort into building relationships and trying to find private money. And, you know, we were able to build those relationships, but it took time, took trust. They saw our success. We were promoting a lot of our success out there so people could see us buying and selling and assigning deals left and right. So they knew we're in there. So they see the success. Now they want to get involved and you Mm -hmm. start having those conversations. And quite honestly, you know, in the beginning, if you have to, you know, partner up with somebody and take much less of a profit just to get your foot in the door to build that relationship all day long, you know, I'll tell you, Jeremy, when I transitioned from wholesaling to rehabbing um, my first, my first million dollars. So it was basically not, not, Totally. But basically about, I found about 10 different people that would lend me around a hundred thousand. That was about as much as they had. So I, I would go out, I talked to all these people. I'm starting to do these deals. I offered them half of my profit on my rehabs. If they would fund my deals, I did that for two years straight. I built up this you know, experience. I built up this group of investors. And then over time I started, you know, getting cheaper money and cheaper money and more money. And it just snowballed because you're building on it, right? But I would rather pay out half my profit, do the deal, than sit at home and not do the deal, right? Yep, All day. <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't matter what it costs you, just it, it, what, what matters is that you get your deal done, you start raising capital, and you start, just start is everything. I'll tell you a real quick trick, guys, that I do. Um, whenever I need money for a deal, I, you know, just like you do cash buyers, you have your list. And I go to my list and I say, hey, I'm looking for funds. Here's the deal. Here's the information. And then once my deal funds, I go back to everybody that didn't fund and I, and I let them know, hey, I got the money. We're closing on the deal. Basically, you missed out. Next time you want a deal, you got to speak up faster, right? Just like we do with cash buyers. Hey, guess what? You missed out. Next time you got to respond faster. Same thing with money. They will start to see, hey, this guy's getting his deals done. I'm missing out. Next time he brings a deal, I better pay attention. FOMO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, so tell us, what was your funding cost on this? Uh, my funding cost on this. I'm going off memory. I didn't write this down, so forgive me. <laughs> um, you know, we when we do these type of bridge loans, we do them a little bit differently than we would on our rehab and, and yeah. a rental acquisition or something like that. So typically what we'll do is we'll guarantee a certain amount of money for like the first 30 days. So whether we sell it in one week 
or 30 days, that lender at least gets that. And yep. then what we do is a proration the next 30 days after. So in this situation, let's just say it was probably, I don't know, 5,000 bucks. I think it was probably three to 5,000. I'm going to say 5,000 on this. We'll automatically give you $5,000 for the first 30 days. After that, we're going to give you another 5,000 every 30 days, but it's prorated per day. So if it ends up being, you know, 45 days and it's 5,000 plus the 15 you know, or 2,500 of the 15 days. So that's kind of how we do those kind of bridge loans. It works well for both sides, but it really makes us move with urgency to get the deal closed. Yeah. So did you guys catch that? So I'm just doing some math on my calculator right now. So did you just pay the 5,000 because it only went to 30 days? Correct. Okay. So, but if you think about that, if you annualize that, so if you take 5,000 times 12, that's 60,000, right? Or, or in other words, so 60,000 divided by 315,000, which is what you borrowed, that's about 20% annual interest if you were to annualize it. Now you didn't right. annualize it, but if you were to break it down, people understand that, that you paid 19% annual interest for 30 days, right? But guys, uh, think about it. If you could sit in front of somebody and say, hey, I'll pay you 19% on your money, you think people are are going to be open minded to that offer? Heck yeah. yeah, they are. That's why she called. They called the next day. Yeah. Can we do it again? Yeah. What's yeah. the next one? Right. Easy. Here's yeah. the guys. Do you remember the Staples Easy Button? Yeah. They're yeah. just sitting there laughing. They're like, "We didn't find the deal. We didn't sell the deal. We just funded the deal. Five grand, thirty days. Easy button. Like, let's go." Yeah. I mean, in all honesty. You guys probably, it still would have been a home run deal had you paid double that. Let's say you paid them 10000 got your deal done in, in 30 days, made whatever your net's going to be, $50,000, $60,000. Your investor made 40% annual interest on their money, and that still would have been amazing for you guys, right? So, guys, don't, don't ever get hung up on that. I mean, it doesn't matter that it's $5,000 that you paid the investor. You got it 100% funded. You turn around and resold it for three eighty. dollars and you walk out of there with what well, I'm guessing I'm doing the math in my head. What 75? Well, I mean, what do you guys think on that? After all of our costs with commission closing costs, we netted uh, gross net was 58. 58. Okay, because you had seven in, in cleanup and rehab, yeah. some financing, and then closing. Gotcha. Yeah. And commission and commissions to the um, commissions, yep. To the buyer. Yeah. Yep. So fifty-eight thousand dollars on a zero down, right? No yeah. money out of pocket. Essentially wholetail, not not a hundred percent wholetail because you trashed it out and you cleaned up a little bit, but that's yeah. still in my book, that's still not really rehabbing. Yeah. No. You know what I mean? Like there's no hammers used at all in this house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We didn't fix nothing. Right. So that's, no. that's amazing. Yeah. Hey no. guys, let's open up Q and A. Here's our first one. Let's uh, pull that up now. Jerry, why don't you attack this? Because um, yes. I don't do a lot of the real estate side on the traditional side. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you guys follow me, you'll know I talk about this double dip technique. It's a really powerful strategy for on market. So this is not an off market technique. It's an it's an only on market where distressed properties come out for sale on market. The idea here is you go direct to the listing agent. You offer them to write the offer and represent you as the buyer. That's technically called dual agency where now that, that same agent that has the listing can also earn the buyer side commission. So essentially they're doubling their revenue on that one deal. Now uh, there's 12 states, I think, or maybe 14 states that do not allow dual agency. Uh, but what they do allow is what's called designated agency. 
And designated agency is when a different agent in the same office can represent the buyer. So you got the listing agent, another agent in the same office. They're going to write the offer for you. That's the next best thing because that agent in the office is going to get a referral fee. They're probably going to split that side of the commission. Or what a lot of these listing agents do is they they employ a buyer's agent or that buyer's agent's on their team. And that listing agent is still collecting the majority of that commission because that buyer's agent works for them. They just they're just an, basically think of an employee of that listing agent. They're licensed, so they're going to run the commission through their license. But trust me, that commission's circling back to the listing agent. This is how it gets done, guys. I mean, you got to trust me on this one. Big listing agents that do a lot of distressed real estate—that's how they're handling that. So what you'll do is you'll say, hey. Do you have somebody on your team that could write the offer for me? That's and that's still a win to that listing agent. And and so that's how I that's how you tackle that if you're in Texas or a non-dual agency uh, state. Love it. Love it. Here's one we can all attack in our own little way. Um, and that is, could you please walk a first timer through wholesale closing day and how to prep the seller and cash buyer? Guys, I love this question. I want to uh, I want to make sure that this question is also to try and eliminate any of it to be a fear-based question. I think many times when I hear this question, typically it's a fear-based question, meaning they're so worried. They're like, oh my gosh, we're going to go to closing day. And they think I'm closing on it. And then all of a sudden I'm going to show up and it's not me closing. It's this cash buyer. And then what do I tell them? Guys, none of that ever happens. That's the beautiful thing. You got the seller show up at one time, and the cash buyer show up at another time. And really in Utah, I, I don't know what you'd call it national wide, but maybe uh, Jerry, you can tap into this is it's really a blind HUD, meaning the HUD statement that it doesn't show anything other than their amount that here's all the cost and here's what they're getting in a check. Thank you for signing. And then they, they walk out with their check. Um, I don't, I don't ever have problems with it, but we're also upfront in the beginning saying if they ask, if they want the details. So are you buying the home? I'll say, that's a good question. It's either going to be me or one of my partners, people I partner with that. Yes. But at the end of the day, we're going to be closing on the 20th and you're going to have this amount in your hand at closing. And they're going to be like, awesome. That works. So if it ever comes to where they're they're looking at a cash buyer, like, wait a second, that's not Cody. They can say, yeah, that's who I end up partnering with. He's here and he's got the funds to help close on this. But guys, thank you so much. Uh, this worked out awesome. You guys will be getting your check here in a second once he does the closing on it. Like, it's not hard. I think it's only a problem when we make things a problem. Sometimes we make it a problem by saying, oh, um, uh, well, uh, I found out I, I uh, didn't want to buy it. And so I ended up finding a buyer for it and we <laughs> making a, a problem out of it. Yeah. Just, just keep it easy and truth teller, truth seeker. Yeah. It's right either there. buying it or someone I'm going to be partnering up with. Cause at the end of the day, guys, cash buyers are your partners in this, in this business. Jeremy, would you add anything to that? Yeah, you know, I would just say, you know, we're very transparent in the way we do things. So we're we're up front with everybody right from the beginning. Obviously, here we may have different exit strategies, but on other markets, they know we're going to be assigning the contracts. You know, we're we're pretty clear with that. And from our experience, as long as you're there to help them and solve a problem, they don't really care about the end result. If you make it about money and 
that kind of situation, then it becomes a little weird. And I've been in that stage when we were early on being like, oh my God, what if we don't show up? Now we only show up for testimonials. <laughs> That's the only time we show up. Uh, but, you know, and it shows up on our HUDs too, you know, so we're not even worried about that. But if you're there to solve their problem, they don't care how much money you make. They don't care if you're, you're selling to somebody else. They don't care about any of that. Can you help me by selling my, buying my house and get me out of this problem? And, you know, whatever that is, that's all I care about. Awesome. Jerry, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, so I just want to touch on a little bit what you said, Cody. So guys, remember, uh, the key to wholesaling to me is always the title company. You have to have a wholesaler friendly title company that knows how to do assignments. If they don't know how to do assignments, they could foul the whole thing up by, by just, you know, not communicating effectively between your cash buyer and the seller. So like my title company, she, she told me, she says, Jerry, we will never, ever, ever let your cash buyer and the seller talk or meet. We don't close together. They're not going to be talking together. That just doesn't happen, right? So like Cody said, you got two separate closings. They're going to come in and sign at two different times. And uh, Cody called it a blind HUD, but really it's just a seller side HUD and a buyer side HUD, which means the, the seller doesn't see the buyer side. So they don't know what's going on there because all they're seeing is their side of the transaction. Now the buyer side, since you're doing an assignment, your assignment fee is a line item on the buyer side. So your cash buyer is going to see your assignment fee. It's on his side of the closing statement. So we make sure that that's clear. We don't, we don't ever want our cash buyer finding out what that looks like at the day of closing. We want to make sure that that's clear. So here's what I do. I say to my cash buyer, I say, hey, you know, before we sign this assignment, I just want you to know, I'm going to make a $32,000 assignment fee on this deal. If that's a problem, tell me right now, because I got other investors that are interested. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> and they're like, oh, uh, uh, no, no, Jerry, that's that's totally cool. That's totally fine. Okay, good, because I'm not that signing is. this. a problem with it. It's a no, good deal. You know, so just get it out of the way, guys. Just right up front, get it out of the way. Don't be afraid of it. Don't hide it. You earned it. You got a good deal. Yeah. We had to learn that. I remember like our first couple deals until we learned that, yeah, we earned it, every penny of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then we were more comfortable. Not to be ashamed of. And yeah. Jerry, you know, you talk about the title comes out. Just, I'll say one other thing. This is why you don't allow a buyer to use their title company. Yes. They botch things up all the time. Yes. When we were early on, we were scared by the big bad cash buyers. That would happen, and it was like a disaster trying to get our wholesale fees. Now it has to be through your title company. Just you have to make that happen. I'll tell you, Jeremy. I just lost a deal. I was the buyer trying to buy this house from a cash buyer. Now this cash buyer, he allowed the seller to choose the title company, and it killed our deal because here's what happened: uh, title got the purchase agreement, title got the assignment, title said we want nothing to do with this deal. And so I called up title and I said, what's the problem here? What's going on? And they're like, we don't, we don't want anything to do with this. And I said, tell me why. Tell me. And they're like, we can decide and we don't want to do it. And then they, not only did they say they didn't want to do it, but they told the seller, they freaked out the seller. So then the seller just killed the whole thing. They said, I don't know what this is. I, I don't like this title company. Doesn't like it. I'm out. And the deal fell apart. Yeah. And all, it could have all been prevented if the, if the wholesaler put in his contract, Seller agrees to close with buyer's title of choice. Done. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Let me uh, get a one that's going to give a curveball here. <laughs> Should I take out a loan to start wholesaling? 
let me give you one opinion on this, and I'd love to see where you guys, where you take this. Wholesaling is easier to get into than you think. And so many times we think, do we need a loan? Do we need a, because remember, you're not buying homes. If anything, you're going to need marketing dollars. But let's say things are so rough that you don't have marketing dollars. I want you to put a smile on your face because there's still a way to get into this. And that is, if the, if the word freest is the is a word, I'm going to use it. The freest way of uh, getting into wholesaling is think of the end game and keep your end in mind. And that is the, you found a deal, you put under contract, now you're looking for the cash buyer. Think of that end game. Build a massive cash buyers list. I know Jerry has plenty of videos on this. I have videos myself on this on YouTube. And so there's plenty of content out there. If you're so tight on budget where you're like, man, I'm nervous. I don't want to take out a loan because I'm not here. If I don't know your ambition level, I don't know your drive level. I can talk to some people. I'm like, gosh, that guy's drive. Had Jeremy came to me and Michelle came to me and said, we don't have money for this. Do you think I should get a loan? I knew them good enough and talking to them, I'd be like, <laughs> you guys are just, this guy played semi-pro football. Michelle, both of them, by the way, they're the fittest couple I've ever met in my life. <laughs> they don't do anything halfway. They don't tiptoe working out. They don't tiptoe love. They don't tiptoe life. They are all in on every area. I would have no problem telling a Jeremy and Michelle, heck yes, get alone, get going. Like you guys are going to be winners. But I wouldn't tell that to everyone. So that's not a that's not a vanilla answer that I can give to everyone unless I personally was talking to you. But in a roundabout way, if you have no money at all, build the biggest, baddest, massive cash buyers list and go talk to every wholesaler. By the way, that's free. Go talk to every wholesaler, again, free, and just tell them why they want to push their deals your way for disposition, for getting rid of them. Because you have the biggest, baddest, most amazing cash buyers list, the people that pay the most money. And this is why you'll want to JV with me. If you ever have a deal you can't move, let me know because I've got 5,000 cash buyers that are readily available and active buyers that want their next deal. Let me know. And you just JV that deal. But all of that work was free, and now you have your first cash in your hand to now start doing the marketing side and doing everything from start to finish. Yeah, so yeah. I'll, weigh in, I'll weigh in on this on this question too. So uh, there is no right or wrong answer because everybody's a little bit different. The right. So if it's about having money to do the business, there are so many free ways to find deals and free ways to find buyers. It's not, it shouldn't be about that. You can get into wholesaling with no money. You can even get your first couple of deals going with, with no marketing costs. Now, if you're going to scale, you got to start paying for marketing. You got to start paying for tools. You got to start paying for a team, right? So the real question to me is, uh, what is your risk tolerance? Um, if, if, you're, if you're willing to risk to jumpstart your business by dumping more money in it's kind of like adding gas to the fire. It'll really, it can really help you grow. Education's a great place where you could, you know, borrow money to, to speed up your business. But you have to understand the risk level of doing that, right? And, and be comfortable with that. That's really what you have to decide is what, what, how fast do I want to go? And what is my risk tolerance? And that's really the right question. So, or the right answer. Um, I'll tell you real quick. 
I have a coaching client and these guys are, are doing about five deals a month and they want to go to 10 deals a month. And I asked them, I said, how much are you spending on marketing? And they told me and I said, you're currently spending enough marketing to continue to do five deals a month. Do you have funds or access to funds to do to spend a lot more on marketing? And do you believe in your business model? Do you believe in your team? And they're like, yeah, we believe in our system. We believe in our team. We think we can handle it. I said, then you got to spend more money if you want to go from five deals to 10 deals. And so it was this quite that we talked about then investing or in their case, they're like, we have an investor that would lend us $50,000. And so the question now was, do you trust yourself to borrow 50,000 and really try to up your marketing game so that you can get more deals and grow the business? Now, that was a question I would not have with someone, anyone, right? It was, it was just that's the question that they had to decide to grow and scale their business since they weren't self-funding. They didn't have the cash to self-fund. Now, what do you do? You got to borrow money if you want to grow. So that's just something to think about. You know, um, so for us, so I'm going to do a little bit of a shameless plug here. We're actually working on an ebook called, um, you know, get wholesaling with little to no money out of pocket to show ways that you can do it really with nothing, you know, just minimal, minimal cost. So yeah. the world is a way to do it. You just have to hustle. As you said, to grow into a business is a different story. Um, I would definitely take out borrow money loan or whatever it took to start a wholesaling business. If you're hundred percent committed to doing it, you have to be committed to doing it. Bingo. Really the key. Michelle and I started this business with $11,000. Most of that went into buying into a coaching program. The rest was for marketing. I've never spent a dollar of my own money again. And we've, you know, done hundreds of houses and made millions since, um, in doing this over the years. Um, but it all it all started with eleven thousand dollars. I mean, you could get a couple credit cards and do that. So, but you have to be committed because I'll tell you, there was a lot of gut check moments. I wasn't sure what's going to happen in the beginning, but it just went from one deal to the next deal, and then decided to scale from there. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you need to borrow some money to get going, if you you know, hey, I'm not going to fail no matter what, then I'd say do it. I mean, we spend more money on silly things all the time, like a a car, or a motorcycle, a jet ski. I'd rather buy a wholesaling business. Yeah. So good. So good, guys. And this is all true. Half effort does not equal half results. Half effort equals <laughs> zero results, guys. You're going to hear me say that always because that's the difference. When you go in, don't just dip your toe. Otherwise, I tell you, don't get a loan. Don't spend any money unless you're willing to commit. So I love that you said that because that's that's crucial, you guys. And that was something I felt from the moment I met you guys was your commitment, your relentless commitment. You're like, no, we're going to make this work. To the curveball, let's throw this out there. One of your biggest draws or holdbacks when I when I met with both of you and talked to you was how long to hold on to your W-2 job. Knowing what you know now, would you have quit that and cut that earlier? Or is it like, no, it still worked out the way it needed to be? Well, everything's meant to be the way it's meant to be. Um, you know, I would say, yes, I should have cut my W-2 sooner because I think we could have scaled faster. Um, you know, I was afraid, I'll yeah. be honest, you know, I had a lot riding on it. We were going through a big transition in our life. We just bought a house. We were getting married. There was a lot of stuff going on. I was afraid it was, it was that safety net. Yeah. And, um, it held me back. It held me back from growing for sure at a faster rate. Uh, so yes, I wish I quit like maybe a year or two sooner, but in the end it all worked out. Awesome. Awesome. Let's throw this out here. Um, right here. Jerry, I don't know of this problem, to be honest. 
I feel like between tools like a uh, real estate agent, the MLS, PropStream, maybe even Flipster, I feel like even a non-disclosure state, I don't think that has anything to do with non-disclosure. Correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like in every state, you should be able to know what ARB is. Yeah, you may have to subscribe to some type of a service, right? Because the issue is, is there, there are, I know this for a fact, there are 12 non-disclosure states. And a non-disclosure state means that they don't have to report information about the sale. So it might not have, it, it might report it, but it might not. So it might not have sale price, might not have square footage. You're going to be limited on information. So if you rely on Zillow, Redfin, Realtor.com, it's going to become really difficult to comp properties, which um, I show a lot of examples of how to do, how to comp on Zillow, Redfin, and, and so on. Because in the in the full disclosure states, all of that information is readily available and it's kind of easy to do. So it means you're going to have to find some untraditional services or, or probably not free services in order to comp. Now, um, kind of the way around it, I think, is a real estate license is, is going to have all of that data. So real estate license there, you know, on Flipster, we have comping tools that can pull comps, you know, or there's PropStream. There's I know in Texas, they use uh, Propelio is another one that, that probably has comps, but you're going to have to align yourself with a way to get that data in those non-disclosure states. And that's just that's just unfortunately what you have to do there. And if you don't want to be a licensed real estate agent, team up with a realtor and say, hey, listen, I want you to comp my properties. I want you to be the one that I can come to and get a true ARV. Guys, when he says ARV, I better break that down. After repair value, what the home's worth when it's all fixed up. But you team up with a realtor and say, hey, I don't have access to this, but here's what I do have access to. A lot of deals. Let's be honest. Jeremy, you guys, Michelle, you guys can back this up. Jerry, you can back this up. Probably 90% of the people you talk to will never do business with you. But you know what you do have? 90% of the people that are still leads to an agent where you can say, hey, if, as long as you can comp me out properties and get me the ARV, the after repair value, I will also, in lieu for your service, Gold Spoon feed you some listings of people that I'm not a fit for, that they're, they're not going to do business with me, that I can prep for you. Yeah. In fact, Cody, the to me, the simplest way to solve this problem is everyone should be trying to grow their business is... Your next acquisitions rep, have them be a licensed agent. In fact, that's where we get most of our acquisitions people is, um, you know, tired or burned out or new real estate agents that are struggling to go get new listings and, and buyers. And we bring them over and we show them how to make, you know, six figures a year doing acquisitions and then they're licensed. So then we can tap into that license and that's kind of a double win right there. Love it. Love it. Let me uh, pull up some Jeremy, Michelle, do you have anything you want to add to that? No, I, I think Shelly said it perfectly. You know, that's what we did in the beginning for the first couple of years. We teamed up with a real estate agent that was around the area that was investor friendly. We gave her a lot of leads. And honestly, when we had some really good assignments, we'd throw some uh, consulting fee checks every now and then too to make sure that she was, you know, didn't mind us asking for ARVs a thousand times a week. And it worked out great. It's a great relationship. Years, yeah. yeah. Now a disposition manager is a licensed realtor. So that yeah. worked really well for us. We don't have our acquisitions do, um, uh, you know, as a real estate agent, just so they don't have to go in there and disclose that you know, we're not acting on behalf as a real estate agent, but as an investor on those acquisition meetings. But uh, dispositions, they handle that whole thing. Uh, we like that process on our end. Love it. Love it. Here's a good one. Do you ever have a need for a double close? 
Let me kind of tell you what the double close is. We have two this is. week. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you what a double close is, guys. A double close is having to close on the property before you can turn around and sell it to a cash buyer or if you're doing a wholesale deal, sell it to a retail buyer. It's because there are some states that don't allow simply putting a home, this piece of paper that represents a contract. You put a home under contract, an assignment is just simply selling that contract for a fee, and then you move on to the next property, right? There's some states that don't allow that. They don't allow you to just sell the contract. They make you have to own the property first. So not in every state, but in some states, let me see if they, uh, they'll come back here in a second. I'll get them back on. Uh, it looks like their phone fell. <laughs> um, so not in every state, though. There are states out there that you do not need to um, double close, but there's some states that you have to double close. Jerry, is there anything that how I yeah, cleaned up a little even better? Yeah, so two things. Um, you may be forced to double close if the contract has a no assignment clause. Okay, so uh, bank-owned properties all have no assignments. Okay. So if, you, if you're trying to wholesale an REO or short sale, those are going to have no assignment clauses. Some some other contracts might have a no assignment I bought a probate house one time and the probate attorney representing the client put a no assignment in the contract because they didn't want to deal with wholesalers. Now, um, I, have a, I have a workaround if you guys want where I create an LLC and then we, we sell the rights to the LLC, the membership, not the property. So it's not an assignment. It does a workaround. It's really cool. I do that with my REO properties. It allows you to still do a single closing. Um, but that may be a case where you have to double close or... Some people strategically double close because they're worried about their assignment fee being so big that they, they don't want the cash buyer to see it. Yeah. So they do it on purpose. They pay the fees because you're doing double fees now. They maybe they, they, they might even borrow transactional funding, which is like day funding for your deal. But they do it on purpose because their, their assignment's $30,000, dollars $50,000, and they're worried that their cash buyer might back out of the deal if they see how big their fee is. Now, I mentioned earlier, I don't ever do that. I tell my cash buyer, I'm making 50 grand, get over it, you know? But <laughs> if you're worried about it, then you could double close and then your cash buyer will not see because you're going to buy it, you're going to close on the first closing as the buyer, and then when you turn around with your cash buyer, you're now the seller. So he doesn't see what you just bought it for 10 minutes ago. So it, it hides your, your wholesale fee. But... Like I said, you pick up a bunch more fees, and so it's kind of a hassle. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm not a big fan. We're not a big fan of double closing just because of the cost involved. Um, we, we, we have two this week. I said, so, why did you do the two this week? I'm sorry. What? Tell us why you don't like them. Tell us why you had to do two this week. So, really, the same reason because we created such a bidding war. The numbers were so high. We didn't feel comfortable <laughs> disclosing the, the, the margin. Yeah. Not so much to the buyer, but to the seller. Um, you know, um, so that was kind of it. And plus, it was some moving parts. We're trying to coordinate the buyers and the sellers and move outs. You know, we're doing a lot of movings with these people this week and trying to get them into the new places and helping them out of their tough situations. Yeah. So they probably wouldn't care, but we just didn't want to take that, that chance of having to fall apart just in case. Awesome. Here's a good question. I have more contracts than I do buyers. Should I keep getting houses in contract and hope for buyers? Uh, I, I, I say what is the golden rule from the get-go 
when you went through any kind of coaching, what was the golden rule? Most cash buyers wins, but yeah, I mean, get as many cash buyers as possible. What was the specific number? 150, I believe. It was 150. It's like, do not put a home on a contract till you have 150 cash buyers. I want all, everyone that I've ever mentored, coached, spoke with, I'm like, guys, keep your end in mind. If you want to make money and large amounts of money, that cash buyers list minimum 150, but then ultimately we're now over 9,000 cash buyers. Uh, how many do you guys have now, Jeremy, Michelle? Uh, well, here locally, we're about 1,200 in the mass New Hampshire area. So you guys have been sleeping a little bit. No, just kidding. No, no, we haven't. That's about, we're maxed out, I think. <laughs> There's not even, the nearest person probably would be lucky if they have 50 to 100 in this area. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's fantastic. But the more, the merrier. So I tell you, if you have more contracts and you have buyers, that's a sign that you've got to uh, you've got to put some effort and energy right now. Build that cash buyer. List. Guys, this is so easy. Get on a Facebook group and literally just go into any Facebook group. I'm not here to promote anyone's Facebook group. All I'm saying <laughs> is just get into the Facebook group. There's groups out there that have over 100,000. There's groups that have multiple groups over 100,000. Groups with 50,000, 20,000. And then go to the little magnifying glass within that group and just do cash buyer and your state and every post that ever has the word cash buyer and, and your state will come up and you'll see people have asked this question before and there's already comments in there of people saying, I am, I am, I am, I am. Just DM them and say, hey, I saw that you're a cash buyer in here. Do you want to be added to my cash buyers list? And they'll say, yes, awesome. What's a good email to send over the deals? Awesome. Get it done. Guys, I have a literally a virtual assistant do this for me the whole time. I was going to say, I was just telling him. Yeah, I think we have like over 1,500. I think he hasn't checked in a while because we have an assistant doing that every day. And I know she's adding a lot. So It's because it's you guys are entrepreneurs and you guys are scaling. You got a team in place. I love the fact that Jeremy doesn't know that number. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm actually you know, I'm actually going to challenge this if it's okay, Robert. I'm going to challenge this because I actually don't see how this could even be possible. If you've actually got contracts and those contracts are good deals, finding a buyer is the least of your worries. I mean, I buyers are dying for deals right now. You you just need to wave that deal around for five minutes and you're going to have a buyer. I'm telling you. I'm one of them. Yeah. yeah. You may not make the most money this way, yeah. but you'll find a buyer guaranteed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you should I look at I look at acquisitions like a faucet that you never, ever, ever, ever turn off. You don't say, you know what, I can't I can't find buyers. I'm gonna stop making offers. I'm gonna stop my acquisitions. No, you you figure that problem out because that's how you keep your pipeline full. Dispositions does not exist without acquisitions. So acquisitions is a never ending thing that is always going on. Yeah. Jerry, that's a good point. But you know what? We leave the faucet on 24 seven two for adding more cash buyers. Yeah. It's a very fluid thing. They come and they go. You should be yeah. spending just as much time building your cash buyers list as you are trying to market to sell us. Yep. Um, let's see right here. What's the quickest way for me to get someone out there to inspect a property in terms of taking picture? I'm virtually wholesaling. I'm dealing with a potential off-market lead. This so I do, is easy, by the way. Jerry, go for it and then I'll tag. Yeah, so I do a lot of virtual. So um, we, I call this boots on the ground. And we literally pay 25 to 50 bucks 
we put a post on Craigslist. We put a post on local Facebook groups, on Marketplace. And I just say, hey, need someone with an iPhone that can run out to this area, pay you 25 bucks or 50 bucks. I need I need 100 pictures of a house, you know, and, and a two-minute video on your phone. And that's it, right? So it's it's actually super easy. I'm not asking them. I tell them, I say, I want you to do macro and micro. Take pictures of the whole room or the whole house. And I want you to take close-ups of any kind of anything that you think looks ugly, any hole in the drywall or whatever, right? And so, you know, it's that simple, really, to just get that done. I'm not even going to attack that one. I think that's uh, already enough time spent on that one. That's That was fantastic. <laughs> um, let's see. What do you need when starting? Jeremy, Michelle, what did you need to get started? Um, a want. <laughs> just a want and desire, really, for me. I just, what was your want? What was your desire? Maybe I think this will resonate. I think let's deep dive this for two seconds. What yeah, was your want or your desire? I think that's 80%, 90% of probably everyone's want and desire. Yeah, I, and I probably fall into that category. I mean, if you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right, you start to grow that desire at some point. And, um, you know, for me, it was just, you know, I was sick of doing the W-2, seeing as I got older, seeing people lose their job after spending a long time with, you know, in certain companies and just seeing the day of retiring as really a day of the past and yeah. saying, what am I going to do with my future and wanting freedom of time, freedom with my family, freedom in general. Um, you know, so that was the driving force for me. It's just, I wanted to be in control of my own freedom. Fantastic. Jerry. Yeah. I would just say, you know, you need a cell phone, you're going to need a laptop or access to a computer. Right. And more than anything though, you're going to need, you're going to need to, to carve out some time every day before, during lunch, before work, during lunch, after work, weekends, you know, cancel your Netflix and you're going to have to grind. You're going to have to really, it's always hard in the beginning when you have a W-2 that's got to pay bills and you're trying to start a side hustle or a second business. That that transition period is hard. That's difficult. Everyone has to go through that though. You just got to bite down on it and you got to sacrifice a lot of other areas in your life and keep that end in mind all the time. Like I, I did exactly what Cody talks about. I sat down with my wife and I said, this is going to be hard. Are you in with me? This is going to suck for a while but I can't keep going the way I'm going because it's a dead end. Yeah. And so are you on board? I'm going to be getting up early. I'm going to be working through my lunches. I'm going to be working nights and weekends, but it's the only path I see to change my, our life circumstance. Are you on board? And she was, and thank, and bless her heart, you know, like it, not at first, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, uh, it, it took that grind. Now, Cody, going back, um, I'll tell you guys very quickly my story. I was too chicken to jump all in. So what I did is I said, I want to, I'm going to do, I'm going to do wholesaling on the side until I earn up enough money to cover my annual income for one year. Now at the time I was making like 25 grand a year. Right. So it was like, I was barely scraping by minimum wage really. And so it took me about a year to do about 25,000 in assignments. Right. And then I said, okay, I got this here. I'm all in. And so check this out though, guys, my first month full-time, first month full-time, I did five contracts for $52,000 in assignment fees. Wow. My first month full-time. Yeah. Yeah. Now it happened the way it happened. I had to go through that. I, there's, you know, like it was just my path. Yeah. Um, looking back, I kind of wished I jumped in all in sooner, but maybe I wouldn't have been ready sooner. So it just, right. 
It just is how it had to happen for me. But when I said I'm going to do this business, it was no if it works or this is what's my plan B. It was always when it's going to work. And that mindset allowed me to just plow through obstacles, get back up when when I ran into challenges and just keep going until it became a huge success. That was us, Jerry. hundred percent. You just nailed it. That's exactly how we felt. You know, it was, we burnt the candle on both ends for years, mm-hmm. and, but you know, you had to just push, you know, right. The obstacle is the way and you know, the ones who survive thrive. So you have to just keep pushing through all those gut check moments, those hard times, but failure is not an option and yeah. you get up early, you work nights, weekends, you sacrifice a lot of things in your life outside of your, you know, your, your family, but some of your things that you like to do for fun, maybe you don't do them anymore. At least yeah. for a couple of years, totally worth it in the end. <laughs> At least it was yeah. for us. Yeah, I agree. One one thing about this, guys, here's the here's the one of those little cold hard truth talks is you don't have to be good, you just have to be consistent. When yes. all all of us, all four of us here on this screen, were not perfect. We weren't experts when we got in the game. We just had a drive to go take imperfect action. And allow us to know that we are going to make mistakes, we are going to fail, but that those mistakes, those failures are going to be our better teacher than anything out there. And just commit to be consistent and you don't have to wait till you're great. You don't have to wait till you're good. You don't have to do that. And I think so many times, natural as human beings, we have this fear over us that says, no, I got to wait. I got to be prepared because everything in life told us that we go to school as young kids and everything's about being prepared, 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 prepared. Well, in real life, guys, the successful people I know didn't build a perfect plan. They just took imperfect action and they took it often. They took it consistently and they always outperformed the people sitting on the couch, building a perfect plan, taking no action at all. And that's the difference. And Jerry touched something I want to share with you guys. Be a good steward of the money that you do have. If you really want it, Show me, like reflect that in your bank account. If you have a big 80 inch screen on your TV and you're like, I can't get in the game because I just don't have money, but you have a $3,000 piece of equipment that you're watching every night, Netflix and stuff. I just don't think you want it bad enough. I just don't think you do want to change that much or you're not willing to sacrifice to get in the game. So the big thing for everyone, it's a sacrifice. There's nothing free about this game. There's nothing easy about this game. But it's worth it. Like Jeremy Michelle just said, it is worth it. It's absolutely worth it. It's a grind. It's going to take time, but it's going to improve you. You're going to become someone better. You're going to become someone that you're ultimately, remember the story Tony Robbins shares when someone went to him and said, hey, I want to be where you're at. Tony Robbins being a big dude looked down at him and said, and when you get there, you'll be who I was. This life is an ongoing progression. It's always becoming someone better. It's always doing something more. And most people get trapped in this comfort level and want to be prepared in this comfort level of a W-2. They've been trapped and stuck for so many years. And that's going to be hard to break, but you can do it. I've I look at thousands of times. Well I, look at it, I look at it like this, guys, then we can move on to another question. But I, I look at, at money, wealth. I look at wealth and there's a universal principle. Call it, call it the universe, call it God, call it whatever you want. But this is a rule that everyone has to adhere to. And that is, if you want to have wealth, there is a price that has to be paid. If you pay the price now and you save and you invest and you build a business, then later you'll be wealthy. 
If you buy that thing you want now and you watch TV now and you relax now and you, you know, get the new car and you, you rent the $1,500 apartment when you shouldn't be renting that $1,500 and you buy that new truck and you get it now, you're a greeter at Walmart when you're 65. Get it now, pay later or pay now and get it later. But you got to pay. So for me, I'd rather pay now. I'd rather sacrifice early on, build my own business, grow something amazing so that I have everything I ever dreamed of later. I'd rather pay the price now and have it later. And so that's a mindset you have to decide. I just want to say one thing, Jerry, 100%, Cody. Where's the 100% emojis to this whole thing? It's just (laughs) gold here, gold. You know, when we started the business, I sold my townhouse and moved into a little two-bedroom dinky apartment and took $11,000 of some of that profit and started the business. And, you know, I sacrificed for a period of time and a different lifestyle to make it happen. So that's, you know, you have to be committed. Yeah, love it. Would you invest in large competitive markets or a smaller market when getting started? Um, Round Robin, Jerry. Okay, so I think there's two things to look at. Uh, A a big competitive market, like let's say Phoenix, you're going to be going against some big players in Phoenix that are going to spend way more money than you will on marketing. Having said that, big markets are also, there's tons of opportunities. So you just need to carve a small sliver out of the pie and you can be extremely successful. So big markets, more opportunity, more competition, smaller markets, less competition, but maybe less opportunity. You know, what's your poison, right? So I think it's just, I don't know that, I I honestly don't think the grass is greener on the other side. Everybody tends to think that in the business. If I only go over here, it'll be better or over there, it's better. It really doesn't matter. Just start in whatever market you're in or you think is a market and you're going to do fine there. There's trade-offs in, in small versus big, and you just have to decide what you want to go after. If you're going to pick one, I would say your backyard. There's so much learning that can be done that uh, will excel you if you choose to ever go um, virtual, that you'll be a lot more prepared. I think uh, starting out virtual, you can do it. Most absolutely do. But um, the most successful people I've seen in this business start in their backyard. Mm-hmm. Michelle, thank you. I think we agree with both of you guys. I don't think one way is better than the other. I, I would recommend starting in your backyard for, if you're starting out. I think that's the best advice you could take. But Henry Ford, whether you believe you can or can't, you're right. So exactly. if you can't wholesale in your backyard, you're right. But if you believe you can, you're right. If you believe wholesaling virtually is the better way, you're right. And that's the whole point. You've got to go where your where your where your confidence is gonna is gonna push you. If you're not confident, you're not going to take the action. Um, All right. Um, Let me pull another one here. Um, Okay, here we go. Right there. Who wants to attack this? Fear. What's the biggest fear, stepping stone you see in new wholesalers that prevents fastest growth possible? I'll go first, Cody. So, you know, I do a, I do a lot of coaching. And so I get to see a lot of new investors and kind of and kind of what their roadblocks are. And, um, you know, I think one of the biggest things I see is 
people are afraid to pick up the phone and talk to people. They're afraid to talk to sellers. They're afraid to talk to agents. They're afraid to talk to cash buyers. There's a fear of saying the wrong thing or rejection, or maybe I don't know what I'm doing and that comes across, or maybe I give the wrong offer. And so there's that, that fear becomes a limitation and it slows your progress. On the flip side, the people I see come in the business and they're just, they're just okay to make a lot of mistakes uh, they learn really fast and they get through a learning curve faster than everybody else because they just, they're just okay to mess up as they go and they don't let that stop them. So they mess up, they just you know, jump back at it and they mess up and they jump back at it. And every time they mess up, they learn something and they get a little better. And next thing you know, they're, they're off to the races and they're doing amazing. Or you hold back because you have <laughs> all this fear and then you don't take action and then it goes really slow. So he's the king of fail forward. And actually, I would be, if it was just me on my own, um, the analysis paralysis type mm -hmm. overthinker about everything, or I used to be about this kind of stuff because I didn't know a lot about it when we first started out. And yeah. I'm telling you, I, when he first started wholesaling, I was like, are you sure we can do that? And he's like, we're going to find out. And then <laughs> when we finally got lending and we got an opportunity to flip a house. I was like, we don't know how to flip a house. He's like, well, we're going to learn how right now. <laughs> and the same thing recently happened this past year with buying multis. He's like, we're going to find out. And then <laughs> bought in rehab three this summer. Yeah. So it's like, um, he has never been afraid to fail forward and to just figure it out along the way. You know, you'd spend money on education anyway, and that's our yeah. education is just, you know, trial and error. Are you going to make mistakes? Yes. Are you going to do a bad deal? Yes. Are you going to lose money on a deal? If you guys don't think you're, ne you're never going to lose money on a deal, guess what guys wake up. You are. But it's okay. You know, you'll get through it. You'll learn from it. It's how it's what you have to do to grow and progress. If you're not making mistakes, you're not trying hard enough and you're not learning enough. Yeah. You have to make a lot of mistakes. That's how you learn. That's it. Think about this in life, guys. We, we see this principle, but we fail to do it when it comes to this type of scenario. We want this perfect plan. We want to see the whole picture from start to finish. But where in our life have we ever seen anything start to finish? Think of getting married. Think of your first time at a job. Did you ever see the whole picture from start to finish where it's like, oh, I'm getting into this because I can see where I'm going to be 14 years from now. I'm going to be the president and it's going to be amazing. I'm going to make $752,000 a year. No, we don't. But somehow when we get into this entrepreneurial mindset, it's like, I want to be able to see the whole picture. Guys, we don't jump in our cars at nighttime and say, well, I'm only going to jump in my car if I can see the whole picture 14 miles down the road, my destination. Because if I can't see it, I'm not jumping in my car. But do we ever hesitate to jump in our car, start the car, turn on the headlight, and just go down the road 60 yards at a time where our headlights hit? That's the reality of life. And that's the same thing in entrepreneurship. We live and die by this principle every single day, but we don't recognize it enough to realize that's how it's going to be in entrepreneurship. You're only going to see the next step ahead of you. So get off of YouTube University. Guys, I'm on YouTube. Jerry's on YouTube. So this is not a knock on us. But don't stay there for five years. If Jerry and I knew that you're just going to sit there for five years and just build a perfect plan, we would be failing you miserably. It is just get the action you need to see. All you're going to see is this next step. I've got to get cash buyers. Don't worry about anything else. Don't worry about one thing other than get your cash buyers. And once you get your cash buyers, you're going to see your next step. 
take that next step. We can all, you can only see the next step. You're not going to see the full 14 mile drive. You're only going to see the next step. We live and die. We see this principle every day in our lives, but yet somehow we have to build this perfect plan. I have to see the full 14 mile route before I do it. Don't do that. Don't get hung up. Just get action that you know you need to take today. Take it and you're going to get revealed the next step that you have to take. Don't search it. Don't research it. Don't worry about well, but what, what if? What if this happens? What ifs? Probably 90% of the chance never happen ever or even come to fruition. Don't worry about what ifs. And when something what if pops up, research it at that point and you'll figure it out. Yeah. You know, Jeremy, you had mentioned uh, multifamily and I just want to compliment you for pushing yourself into this uncharted water, you know, jumping into that deep end of the pool and progressing to a new level in your investing and in your business. I'll tell you guys real quickly, uh, years ago, I broke into luxury flipping. Uh, so over a million dollars. And my first, my first, so I did a couple million dollar deals, learned, learned a lot. Um, then I tried to jump into like the next level. So I did a $3 million spec flip Woo! And, and lost money. Okay. Lost money. I did two more that basically broke even. Now this is a ton of capital. This is 18 month, two year projects, no money, three deals in and no profit. And then I've done a couple since then. And then those were pretty good ones. And I got one right now, guys, I closed the end of March and I ran all my numbers on there and it's a net net. This is net, net, net. $1.2 million profit. Wow. Cody, yeah. where's the bell, man? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Congratulations. That's incredible. But guys, but I, what no one knows or what, what, what really is going on here, though, is five years of doing high-end with no money and learning, 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 just all learning before I finally kind of figure out how to make it successful. And Jerry, you just didn't study this for like a year and just came out with the perfect plan and just worked <laughs> the first time. I mean, come on, that's how it's supposed to work. Yeah. I mean, guys put my neck on the line on these yeah. deals and scary sleepless yeah. nights, you know, nobody sees the struggle and the sleepless nights behind the scenes, but we all go through it. And yeah. you know, I, you guys are great. And that, what a story. I mean, that that's in, Amazing, inspiring. amazingly inspiring. It's the fear of taking action. People are afraid to take action. The ones who take action consistently, regardless of how many mistakes or how many times they screw up, they're, they're going to succeed. It's just it's just a matter of when. Yeah. Here's a solid. Let's do just a couple more questions, guys. Um, do you ever use a construction loan to rehab on an old house in order to flip it? I don't. Construction loan, if you're actually saying construction loan, what I interpret to be like a bank loan or some kind of conventional loan. No, these are either funds from myself, raised funds from family and friends, or hard cash that is uh, always everywhere available. <laughs> yeah, we've never used anything like that. The only bank loans we use is refinancing for the multis. We've never used anything like that. Jerry, anything for you on that? Um, so typically, especially if you're doing flips, your, your easiest, fastest access to money is going to be Hard money, like Cody mentioned, hard cash or private money, uh, or a combination of the two. On my big, on my on some of my really big projects, we do we do implement. I call we call it five percent money, but it's bank money, and it's really cheap. But it's a lot of hoops to go through. It's a pain to get. You know, it's just it's unless you're doing, you know, big deals. 
it's just faster and easier to use hard money, pay the higher interest, but turn your deal as fast as you can and you're fine, you know. Awesome. Couple more guys. Hi, Jerry. Huge fan. Question. Can we wholesale houses that are being sold by a corporation, LLC, or trust? Or would it just be a huge hassle? No, a contract's a contract. The seller's a seller. So it doesn't really matter what whose name is in the line item on the seller. Who cares? Uh, just one thing I would say, if it's a bank, double check your contract. Make sure there's, there's not a no assignment clause if you're looking to do an assignment. I think pretty much all bank contracts have no assignment clauses. And that, that might be a hurdle for you if you're, if you're planning on an assignment. Yep. Yep. The other thing is guys, some of my biggest deals are ones that are in a trust and that is uh, people that inherited a home where mom and dad passed away and they inherited a home. Usually those are in a family trust and those have proven to be some of my biggest and best deals. So yes, you can. I have a, I have a deal right now, Cody and Geico is the, is the seller. Wow. Yeah. And typically when you guys are getting properties, you know, that you're getting from tired landlords, um, rentals and multifamilies, they tend to be LLCs too. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, here's a simple one. Should you wait it out? I think you should learn on this to just wholesale. You can market like a wholesaler and get your second house in Florida by just learning how to get off-market properties. That's why I love about it. So he asked, just want to buy a second home in Central Florida, but market's ridiculous. I don't want to overpay because the low inventory and I believe the home values are at their peak. Should I wait it out? It depends. So um, I always tell people, it's either learn the craft on how to get off-market deals and you can still get deals at 40, 50, 60 cents on the dollar. Or yeah, if you're going to play retail, I 100% would say wait it out because if there's anything I've learned, history repeats itself. At some point, there will be a fall. Anything else, guys, on that? No, I would just say just go in with your eyes open. So if you understand real estate, know where you're at and live with your decision. So if you buy, know that there may be a correction or you may be overpaying or you may have to bid higher than you want. And that's just you know what you're doing if you're doing that and live with it. You can't come back later and say, oh man, I overpaid. Yeah, but you knew that when you bought. So, yeah. <laughs> Dude, here's a good one on your Geico deal. 15 minutes could make you 15 dollars. <laughs> <laughs> That's so legit. <laughs> so, dude, let's uh, wrap up with this one. Hey, I currently have a signed purchase agreement with the seller, but the seller hasn't cleared title and he is taking too long to do so would that affect me and my earnest money deposit i got a big hard no over there from jeremy jerry well I mean, if you can't get clear title you should be able to get your earnest money deposit back yeah. i mean it has to clear title that's that's one way you can get out of it typically with our purchase sales agreements we have multiple ways of getting out of it um you know so the seller is always required to sell. The buyer isn't always required to buy. Yeah. Love it. Guys, what a solid couple you two are. I've seen multiple comments uh, from people within the tribe and everything that just say, gosh, they love this couple. They love you guys. I want to thank you guys personally. And I know Jerry will do the same, but thank you guys. This is oh, what helps this really have some content, some really some context behind it on a real deal. So your case study uh, is going to add, it, it added so much value and it resonates with so many people that are trying to get in the game and they're trying to think outside the box. Like, how do I do this? How do I do that? 
And your case study just broke down really how easy it is to wholesale a deal and how you can maximize how much money you make per deal. So Jeremy, Michelle, seriously, two of my favorite people. Thank you guys so much for being with us tonight. Um, any closing words you would have for uh, individuals watching? Um, I would just say my three words of advice if you're in the real estate, and this goes for newbies. Always be marketing, always be learning, always be taking action. You do those three things, good things will come. Just don't give up. Love it. Love it. Jerry. Yeah, I just want you guys leave leave a comment right now and, and let Jeremy and Michelle know that they are flipping geniuses. Guys, fifth, <laughs> well, thank you. $8,000 profit doing a clean out and turning that deal in 30 days. That's um, that's amazing. I mean, that is just that is so cool. I hope you guys listening right now see that and you hear that and you think that should be my every day, right? Like I can do deals like that. That's this isn't rocket science. It's just it's just being consistent, taking that action, like Jeremy said. Best advice ever. Just and Cody said this earlier too. Consistency is the is the winner here. It's the name of the game with wholesaling. Be consistent. You're gonna get those deals, and it's gonna be life changing. So uh, I just I love that. I mean, you guys made double what most fix and flippers try to make on deals. Yeah, yeah. And you did it with minimal effort, right? Yeah. yeah. Our wholesales actually make almost as much as our, our flips do. Not, yeah. not too far apart. Yep. So guys, the whole point of this of this case study and this you know live stream Cody and I wanted to do was to really help you see other ways to maximize profits on deals. There's more than it's more than just doing assignments and you've got to start thinking outside that box a little bit. Uh, when you're ready, you know, if you're not ready, just do keep doing those assignments. But I promise you, you're leaving a lot of money on the table on some of your deals by not having by not going out and raising capital and taking them down and relisting them. Yep. Love it. Love it. You guys are awesome. We're seeing all those Jerry and Michelle are flipping geniuses. I know. Here we go. Right over here. Uh, <laughs> Pinkers are here right now. <laughs> Jerry, you have something special going on this weekend. Don't you have your big old two-day uh, master course going on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a small group. We got 10, we got 10 coming out, and, and, and Uncle Cody's coming. He's going to be hanging out with us. We're gonna Uncle put Cody, guys, Jeremy and Michelle, if you don't know, this guy has not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, <laughs> not even nine, but ten children. Wow. That's <laughs> twice as many as us. us. And amazingly, <laughs> and amazingly, only one wife. Wow. Yeah, this well, one. I think you got the $1.2 million because you're going to have to feed them <laughs> a lot of money. That's, that's his food budget. He has to do like three of these a year. <laughs> yeah, I know. Never mind college. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Congratulations. That's Thank wonderful. you. Yeah. Yep. So we're gonna have a good time. Uh yeah. So Cody, looking forward to you coming out tomorrow. We're actually gonna knock out some videos together. Cody, I got some really fun ideas to do some video with you. So can't wait to get to get here. Love it. Love it. Guys, thank you so much. By the way, closing. Um, this video is gonna shut down, but it's gonna live forever on the YouTube channels, the Facebook pages. It's gonna live there. These contents, however, the, I'm sorry, these comments, however, they die um, at, the, at the end of this. So if you have questions, if you have things regarding what we've, you're watching, maybe you're not watching tonight, but maybe in the future you're watching this, bring your comments now over to the comment section underneath the YouTube video, and uh, we'll be sure to chime in and do whatever we can. 
Um, Jerry, I'm excited to hang out for the next few days in Phoenix. Uh, I'll be leaving a ton of cold uh, weather right now. Sorry, on some sun. Um, and hopefully my, my wife said I have to bring some back. So if you can figure out a way of this, uh, this will make me really look good. Uh, but guys, thank you so much. So excited that you guys could be here. Jared and Michelle, thank you so much for being here. And we hope you guys are here to take action. I hope you took down some notes. Take action now. Do yourself a favor. Don't sit with it. Don't research anymore. Just get out of your own way. Wholesaling is easy. The wholesaler is complicated. Go out there and do your next deal. Fail fail your way forward. Take massive and perfect action. And we will see you guys next week. Yep. Same time. Bye, guys. See you guys.